Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me if you would to Matthew chapter 7. I want to wrap up uh, this series of messages. We've been ministering on reminding ourselves, amen. You enjoy some review? Amen. That was my, my favorite day in school was review day. Tell me everything I'm supposed to know tomorrow that I don't know right now. I need that review, man. Don't give me a test without review. Do not give me a pop quiz. But we've been discovering that God's reminders and God's review is just as powerful as the initial revelation of when God spoke it and administered it to us. And so... We kicked off right here just reminding ourselves of the power of the local church and what God has called the local church to do. And that's not just Anchor Faith Church. There are uh, churches in general, the uh, universal church, if you will, all over the world that has been spread all over the world. We are a force for the kingdom of God. Amen. You need to know that. You need to believe that. You need to accept that. You need to welcome that. That God is not doing anything in the earth without using the church, without using you and I. And I know that we all come to terms and all come to times where we question uh, church and what is church all about. And that's really because we get caught up in the man-made stuff, you know, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, some of the distractions of it and some of the different methods and, and what church looks like in different places. And, and we get that. It's, it's not going to be the same er- everywhere. And um, God has given different churches, different specific assignments, but we all have the same purpose. You know that you have the same purpose that Jesus did. Your assignment just looks different. You have the same person as the person sitting on your row, sitting right down from you, sitting right next to you. But your assignment might look different. The assignment doesn't change the purpose. It helps enhance the purpose. The The Bible tells us that the church is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says we are many members, many members, but one body. I mean, look at my body today. Look at it. I mean, look at it. I stand here before you in body form. Mine's not any different than yours. It might be shaped a little different, might be a little smaller, a little thinner. I I don't know, you know, whatever, a little lighter, you know, we have all kinds of different, but, but it doesn't change the makeup of the body. And all these different members, what if, what if I woke up today and my left leg said, not today, I quit. Or I'm going to take the day off. You go do what you need to do. But, you know, it's Sunday. We've had a long week. You really pushed me in the gym the other day, and I just, I need to break. And so now I have to drag around my lifeless left leg that won't contribute to the overall effort of the body. Hello. And we've all got members. And we, the, the, the many members 
make up one body and the overall mission is compromised even if one member goes down, even if one, that's why we just prayed for Rebecca. We're connected to that. We're in that hospital room with her. She's a part of this family. She's a part of this church body. You may have heard that term or maybe that's you know a churchy term for you to say, church body, I'm not connected to any. No, you're connected. You're part of the body of Christ. And, and, and look, there's members that you can see. There's also members you can't see that are functioning right now. How many of you know my heart is beating? By show of hand. Raise your hand if you know that my heart. How do you know that? Can you hear it? Is it that loud? Can you see it? Is it beating that fast or beating that hard that you can? No, you can't see it. But as a byproduct of my heart beating, I'm functioning. As a byproduct of what you can't see, there's stuff that you can see that's working and functioning and, and, and causing the overall body to, to grow and to develop and to function. And, and, and when something doesn't function, what do we call that? Dysfunction. And if you have a dysfunction, you get it checked out. You get it corrected. You get it fixed. Well, it goes for the same in the body of Christ. It goes for the same in the church. If there is a dysfunction, we've got to take care of that. Not because we want to call out the the area that is dysfunctional, not because we want to highlight, uh, but because we want to get the overall body back in alignment, back in one mind, one accord, because if if there's any separation there, I mean, let's say we disconnect my body from the head. Decapitate me. Take my head off. Guess what? The rest of the body's not functioning. I know that sounds gruesome, and I know that's pretty pictorial, but you're getting the image. You've got to stay connected. And the body of Christ has to stay connected to Jesus, who's the head. A church that's not connected to Jesus, the head of the church, is decapitated, is lifeless, is incomplete, and cannot fulfill its purpose, its effectiveness, and its function in the earth. And so we, we've taken some time to discover what the body of Christ looks like. Why are we here? What is our mission about? What are we called to do? And, and, and I've spoken more on a universal basis the last several weeks. I haven't gotten, you know, usually we take uh, the month of August every year here at Anchor Faith and realign ourselves with the vision of our church and take a month to just, you know, re-engage with what has God called Anchor Faith Church to do? What are our values? What's our culture like? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? What is God saying? We usually do that, you know, halfway through the year. Uh, Again, for reminder's sake. But here we've just kind of talked universally. What does the universal body of Christ look like? How does it function? And we've uh, looked at several different things. But look at this here in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And... um, I want to start with verse 13. In the, in the New King James, Matthew 7, verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I don't know about you, I want to be a part of the few. 
There's sometimes you don't want to follow the crowd. There's sometimes you don't want to just fall in line with what the majority is saying and doing. But sometimes you got to dissect things and look at things a little deeper and say, hey, maybe we all just don't need to go this way. Maybe even though it's a little harder, difficult, more trials this way, maybe there's something down this path that we need to look at. The, look at this in the, uh, the, the New Living translation, if you will. The New Living reads it this way. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. Verse 14. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. You know, we've even been kind of talking the last couple of weeks about uh, a couple of weeks ago, we ministered a message, uh, commitment levels and comfort zones, commitment levels and comfort zones. And what we've got to recognize is that the local church allows us to properly be discipled by and to properly uh, grow in our walk with the Lord. That's what being a part of church should help you do. And as disciples, we recognize that God did not cause, call us to ease, to a life of easiness and a life of uh, uh, where we get our way and a bed of roses and, and you know, a, a bowl full of cherries and whatever analogy you want to come up with that depicts the easiness of life. But we recognize that there are difficulties, that there is uh, even resistance uh, and opposition to what God has called the church to do. If you want to advance the kingdom, especially in these last days, it will be met and challenged with resistance. And one of the great things about being in a, in a local church is being around people and being submitted under authority and leadership that will challenge you and cause greatness to come out of you. But we, we live in a culture that doesn't want to be challenged. And we have to be so conscientious of this. We live in a culture where we don't want to allow ourselves to be pushed and we don't want anybody to, to draw anything out of us if it, meant, if it means discomfort, uneasiness, inconvenience. We live in a culture today that wants maximum results with minimal effort. But that will never change in the kingdom of God. That is a non-negotiable for the kingdom of God, for discipleship. It is, it, is, it is not an option to come into the kingdom at base level and stay at base level. You can come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. Being a part of the kingdom will challenge everything about you. And I'm not just talking about sin and holiness and righteousness, although obviously that's one of the first things that gets confronted in our lives uh, is, is our sinful, uh, natural lifestyle that when we come into the kingdom, it's gotta adjust, it's gotta change. Jesus died on the cross, shed blood, for your sin, sin literally separates you from God. Sin literally separates you from God. And I'll tell you this, God has not changed his stance or his position on sin. He hasn't changed one bit. The way he viewed sin in the garden is the way he views sin today. He hasn't come off. He hasn't bent the rules. He hasn't made exceptions. He hasn't changed. That does not change in the kingdom 
culture, you have to let go of our worldly lusts and the the worldly nature. And that's what grace is all about. Grace isn't a Band-Aid that covers our sinful lifestyle. Grace is an empowerment to overcome a sinful lifestyle. I'll say that again. Grace is not a Band-Aid that covers a sinful lifestyle. Grace is an empowerment to overcome a sinful lifestyle. You can overcome. Absolutely. God paid too high of a price through his son Jesus for us to stay meshed and ingrained in sinful lifestyles and just say uh, that the grace of Jesus or the grace of God covers it. No, the grace of God actually empowers you to live above it and live beyond it. And so being a part of a local church and a local community gets you around people that we're all walking the same journey. We're all headed to the same place. But the things that are challenged in our lives is not always just sin. Sometimes it's our faith. Amen. Sometimes our faith gets challenged. You want to live a life of faith, then you don't want comfort and you can have faith, you can have comfort, but you can't have both. Man, it's quiet in here today. I said, you can have faith or you can have comfort, but you can't have both. Faith lives in the uncomfortable. Faith lives where it can't be done. Faith welcomes the challenges of life and the testing of our faith produces patience. There's a testing of our faith. Faith that is not tested can't be trusted. Uh, God will challenge your time management. Absolutely, he will. God will challenge your priorities. Yep. God will challenge what's number one. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So when we come into the kingdom, and when we connect ourselves to a local body church, if you're in a healthy local church, you will be challenged in some way, shape, or form. And the enemy has a word for it. It's called condemnation. But God has a word for it. It's called conviction. And the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit because what is not convicted does not change. There's no change without conviction. Conviction is the initial confrontation of boom, I'm there. Anybody ever heard a message and you felt like the pastor was talking right to you? Anybody ever heard a message and you felt like he was stepping on your toes? Anybody ever heard a message and you had to go back to the book and say, whoa, wait a minute, is that in there? That's called challenging. That's called conviction by the Holy Spirit. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Messages that don't convict don't change. They don't change. We should come in with the spirit that says, Holy Spirit, just show me your word. I'm teachable. I'm moldable. If you show me another way, I'll believe it. If I can see it in your word, I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to align my life. I'm going to align my priorities. I'm going to align my principles. I'm going to align my agenda. I'm going to align my ideas, my thoughts, my plans. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. What does that mean? That means sometimes they have contradictory efforts. My plan might not be his purpose. 
So I need to align my plan with his purpose. And if you think you're void of that, if you think that you just automatically receive the will of God and want to do the will of God, then you're above Jesus. Because even Jesus said, I did not come to what? Do my own will. He can't say that if he didn't have his own will. You can't make that statement if you don't have your own idea. We know in the garden at the the greatest point, the greatest trajectory of his life, the greatest fork in the road that Jesus ever faced. And the Bible even says that he was distressed in the garden. But what did he say? Not my will. Look, if you've got another plan up there that you've thought of since the last time we talked, now would be a good time to let me in on it because I'm about to go through some mess. If there's any way that this cup can pass for me, but not my will, your will. That means that they were contradictory. That means that they weren't necessarily alignment and he had to sacrifice one to get the other. So these are the things that get challenged in our lives. Discipleship will cause us to challenge uh, who is important to us. Discipleship will cause us to challenge what is important to us. And so we've got wide roads, we've got narrow gates. And God is calling us to take this path and take this journey with him. Going on down to verse 21, Jesus speaks these words in the New King James. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who what? Does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Now see, anybody that does any one of those three or even especially all of those three, you know, we would automatically identify as what? A disciple. We would identify as a follower of Christ. We'd say, man, what a spiritual person. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not doing my works that gets you entrance into heaven. It's doing my will. Go back to it. What does he say? He said, many, uh, uh, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, verse 21, but he who does the will. Then in verse 22, he lists works. Works does not automatically mean will. Just because you do spiritual things doesn't mean you're doing the thing that God's called you to do to become a disciple and to submit your life to him. So you could prophesy, you can cast out demons, you can do all these mighty wonders. And then he's gonna say in verse 23, I will declare to them, but I never knew you. While you were busy doing all my stuff, you never got busy to know me. You never wanted to know wanted to know who I am and who's and who you are in me there's there, there's there's a relationship there's a connection missing and so you came in at a a baseline and now you want to throw all these things and say but I did this I did this I did this I did this and then all of a sudden what but I never knew you you were busy doing all those things but I never knew you I never got to know you that's that's what I really wanted 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I have this in a, another translation. If we can pull it up. I think it's, do we have it in another translation? No? Okay. We don't have it in another translation. I thought I did. Today I want to give you 10 differences between believers and disciples. 10 differences between believers and disciples. And uh, those of you that have been with us for a while, two or three years ago, you may remember we did this, but that's why it's called a reminder. We're reviewing this, amen? We're looking at some things, and, and I, I want to put these things in front of you. I, I know that they will bear repeating for a lot of you in here. Uh, for those that haven't heard it, it's going to be initial revelation for you. But both of us, uh, both categories today ought to receive this word as if it was the first time that we ever heard it. And so I want us to recognize these 10 differences between believers and disciples. And believers are those that come in Believers are those that, that come in to the kingdom and maybe have made a confession, but God expects more than just confession. God expects us to live a life uh, beyond just intellectual, mental assent. Believers are those who give intellectual assent to the truths of the Bible, but a disciple is one who is so overwhelmed by those truths and by who God is that everything in their lives revolve around Jesus. That's not on the screen, so don't look for it. That's not one of them. Believer, I'm just defining a believer for you real quick. Believers are ones that just have a mental ascent, an intellectual ascent. Oh yeah, I know who God is. Oh yeah, I, I, I know who Jesus is. Or, or you, you know, may even have confessed Jesus with their mouth. But as a byproduct of confessing Jesus as Lord, our lives should begin to be shaped by the word of God. Come on, if, if you're in the kingdom of God, but you're not allowing the word to shape your life, shape your words, shape your actions, shape your thoughts, shape your agendas, then what have you really gotten? What have you really received? What have you really become? What have you really changed? What have you really done with your life that, that, that says, I have committed my life to the Lord? Going to church? No. Buying or opening or possessing a Bible? No. Maybe praying before a meal? No. I mean, let's get real. What really says I'm not just a believer, but I'm a disciple? And this is the thing. The level of discipleship you attain to is your responsibility, nobody else's. You can look in the word of God and you see all kinds of different levels that, uh, uh, of individuals that follow Jesus. You had the multitude, thousands upon thousands, five, 10, 15, 20,000 people at times on the side of a mountain that would come to what? Hear Jesus preach and hear him minister. A lot of them would show up because they wanted to see the signs and wonders that he was doing. They wanted to see these great miracles. They would come from afar. Many of them even would say, I need a touch. 
I need a miracle. I need a healing in my body. I know somebody that needs, I've got a lame friend. And so let's get the three, let's get the four of us together, get them on a roof, drop them down. I got a servant back at home that he's about to die. I've got a daughter, a 12 year old daughter that's about to die. I mean, we have all these individuals approaching Jesus for what? For what they can get. But the, the smallest group was these 12 individuals that traveled with Jesus everywhere he went. And what did they come for? Not what they could get, but what they could give. What they could contribute. What they could be a part of. How can we be a part of this mission? What can we put into the effort? How can we be a part of this mission that you've come to do? And whether they fully understood that or not, they came and they followed Jesus. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. See, to the sinner, Jesus would say, come. But to the disciple, he would say, go. There's a difference. Sure, we need to come. We need to come in here and come and see. But once we've come and seen, we've got to go and do. I said, we've got to go and do. We come and consume, but now we've got to go and contribute. This is not just for five-fold ministers. I'm sorry if they taught you wrong that pastors and ministers and, 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 and full-time ministry people are supposed to do all the work. That's not what my Bible says. And I'm not trying to get any of the work off of me. I'm going to do exactly what he's called me to do. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. We saw it last week. Each one of us should be empowered to share the gospel. We had an opportunity just yesterday at breakfast. Did you know that we have opportunities at breakfast? When I was frustrated after going to three different breakfast places and they're all jam-packed, and I want my food now. I want to sit down. I don't want to go somewhere and wait. It's already 1030. By the time we actually sit down and get our breakfast, it's going to be lunch. We had some friends in town. Finally, we find a restaurant, get in there, and had an opportunity to be a blessing to someone because that's how God works. God doesn't need you to have a microphone and a pulpit and a Bible and a list of scriptures and an outline. Uh, You can do ministry at Waffle House. Yes, you can. And so I want to look at these 10 points just to help us clarify and understand what we're doing. And the first one is believers believe in Jesus as their savior, but live to please themselves. Disciples believe in Jesus as their Lord and live to please God. There's a difference between Lord and savior. Savior is what he did. Lord is who he is. I don't celebrate or worship anybody just for what they do. But it's because of who they are. It's because of who they are. And so believers come in because, man, he's a savior. He saved my life. He died on the cross. That's what he did for me. But when Jesus is Lord, now it's about what do I do for you? 
How do I change my life and alter my life to reflect that you are Lord? Lord means owner. We don't really have a great concept of Lord uh, in our day and age. The closest word that I could give you would be the word landlord. If you own own a home, but you rent it out to somebody, it's your home, but somebody else is using it. And if you're living in that home and renting it, it doesn't belong to you. You don't own it, but you have to steward over it. You have to take care of it. It's in your possession. It's your responsibility. And so when, when Jesus becomes your Lord, that's recognizing nothing that I have belongs to me. Nothing. My time doesn't belong to me. My money doesn't belong to me. My job doesn't belong to me. My possessions. But the majority of people live as if stuff belongs to them. We do. But when Jesus is Lord, that's full surrender. Now, he's not trying to take anything from you. (laughs) He's trying to get it to you. When I say that, you immediately think of a man-made Lord, dictator, king that wants you to suffer at his expense, that wants to compromise your lifestyle and that wants to compromise your health and wants to compromise your happiness so that he can have everything. But that's not the king that we serve, guys. We serve a great God. We serve, he is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords and he knows how to bless you. He knows how to get stuff to you. He knows how to bring more to you than you could ever gain or accumulate on your own. But it's usually the lack of our surrender and the lack of our submission to him that cuts us off from the things that he has for us. And so he's got to be Lord. And you may come into the, to, into the kingdom because somebody communicated that he was savior and that's great. He is a savior. He saved the world. He's the savior of the world. The, the Bible prophesied that and he fulfilled it, but he's got to become Lord in our lives. And when he becomes Lord, now I live my life wanting to please him. Not for myself, not for my own vainglory. Paul said, my life is not my own. I've been bought with the price. I've been bought with the price. We need to come into recognition of that. Number two, number two, believers exalt their opinion, feelings, and thoughts above the word of God. But disciples submit their opinion, feelings, and thoughts to the word of God. It's amazing how many times I've met believers. Now, I'm not talking about worldly people. I'm not talking about sinners. I'm not talking about people that do not know Christ. I'm talking about those that have come in with a level of commitment, maybe just as far as a confession, but still live like the word or still haven't come all the way over to discipleship. I'm talking about those that may have said, well, yeah, I prayed the prayer. I go to church, you know, every now and then. Uh, You know, I, I, I believe I'm going to heaven one day. These are the individuals we're talking about. But a disciple takes it even further than that. A disciple commits their life to him. And so believers, Christians now, the word of God has to bow to their experience. It's the saddest thing. 
It's so sad to watch people live a life below substandard, subculture uh, to what the Bible has promised us, given us, declared over us, but because their experience is greater than what the word says, they will bring it down to their experience every time. It's amazing the theologies and the doctrines and the things that we have accepted as truth that you can't even find in the Bible anymore. I mean, we're so far gone that there are statements we make, stuff like the Lord won't put anything on you more than you can bear. That's not in the Bible, y'all. And we just swallow that stuff like baby birds receiving it off of YouTube and social media and all. And then we share these little posts. And if you don't share it, then you won't be blessed for the next 90 days. (laughs) Share it with 10 people. Come on now. I'm all about sharing stuff, but let's, let's share stuff that's in the Bible. Absolutely, he's gonna put stuff on you that you can't bear. How will you ever know his strength if you can only do it in your strength? My gosh. So we cannot exalt our opinions, our thoughts, and your feelings. I saw someone the other day that, and Sam's that had a t-shirt that said, you're entitled to an opinion, I just don't care. <laughs> okay, so are you, and I don't care. No, disciples submit their opinions, their thoughts, and their feelings to the word of God. Does this feeling, we, we live in such a feeling, emotionally led culture. We even have songs and sayings like in your feelings. Is that really where you, that's an exhausting way to live. In my feelings? Really? You want to get on that roller coaster? You really want to take that journey? No, I want to stand on the word. It's a solid rock on which I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. My opinion is a sinking sand. My feelings, they are liars. My feelings will lie to me. My feelings will absolutely blatantly look me in my face and say, and lie to me. My thoughts, I mean, you could put a whole list in there, agendas, ideas, they've got to submit to the word of God. Amen? Number three, believers think of church as a place they go to hear what God's word says. And I know that sounds good because you will hear But disciples have a different approach. They recognize that what I hear, I must go do. Disciples think of church as a place that they learn to do what God's word says. That's different. That's different when you get a disciple that can walk back through those doors and say, now how do I apply this to my life? The Bible tells us, do not be deceived. Do not be hearers only, but be doers of the word. Not deceiving yourselves. Don't be a man that forgets what he just saw as soon as he walks away. Don't be the man that looks in the mirror, but then when he walks away, he forgets what he looked like. The Bible says that is a double-minded man. You're unstable in all your ways. No, no, no. Let it become so deep-rooted down in you when you hear the word of God, so deep-rooted that it grows and it begins to bear fruit in my life. And now I am a reflection of what I heard, not just 
a basket catching all the pastor's thoughts and ideas. Come on now. Got to have some intentionality behind our hearing. There will be a test. I'm not saying I'm going to give you a test. I'm not going to, greeters aren't going to hand out a 50-point test next week, multiple choice, and if you don't pass, you can't come back the next week. You don't get into heaven. We're not doing that. That's goofy. That's silly. But there will be a test in your life at some point testing you on what you're hearing. So we got to have intentionality. I'm not just here to hear something. I'm here to learn something so I can do something. Amen? Number four, believers are accountable only to themselves. But disciples recognize they're accountable to everyone. Believers are only accountable to themselves. And accountability is not a yoke. Accountability does not limit you or restrict you. But accountability is what allows you to flourish and allows you to abound. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, there were a lot of blessings that God promised them. There was a lot of freedom that God promised. In fact, in fact, Adam and Eve did not have one care or concern while in that garden. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't be like the world. Don't be like the Gentiles. They worry about what they're going to eat, worry about what they're going to drink, worry about what they're going to wear. And then we have all the worries that we've piled on ourselves, you know, over the years, over time. We don't worry about those things. Don't worry about what I'm going to wear. I mean, my God uh, has, has, has clothed the lilies of the field. If he could so beautifully clothe them, they were more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory. How much more can he clothe me and take care of my needs? Uh, if he can feed the birds, he can sure feed me. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, verse 33. In the garden, Adam and Eve were only concerned about one thing, doing what God said. And along with that came a command. What was the command? Do not eat the fruit of this tree. That's a rule. That's a command. You don't even have to get into the Ten Commandments to find the first commandment in the Word of God. The command was, and the blessing was in the boundary. I said the blessing is in the boundary. When we don't want to live our lives accountable, when we don't want to submit ourselves to godly leadership and authority, when we don't want to submit ourselves even to your brother and to your sister, even when we don't, when we don't want to live that way, when we push off, what you're doing is you're, you are casting off the restraints that God has put in place that will allow you to flourish and grow and develop the way he's called you. You cannot flourish and fulfill his plan on your terms. So believers come in, and sure, they want to confess 
Jesus is Lord. They want to say a prayer, but what level of submission and authority do they have in their lives and what are they submitting to? How surrendered are their lives to that? And, and a lot of times you find out they, they, they cast off accountability. I mean, you see it today. A lot of the freedoms that people want to enjoy in, in church is because they, they cast off and then they get around people that, that have a level of authority or bring a level of accountability and it's uncomfortable and they, can't, they, they don't like it. Ah, you know, it's, it's too many rules, too many restrictions. And then we get labeled legalistic and religious. Let me, let me tell you the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion says, man, I messed up. My dad's gonna kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. You see the difference? Now, dad, if dad's doing it right, he's still gonna have consequences, but he knows he can find safety there. I mean, even the prodigal son ran back to who? Dad. Blew it. Missed it. Whatever punishment I have coming, I deserve it, but at least I know he will take care of me. And he wanted to just come back as a servant. And dad said, no, 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 sons aren't servants. You repent, we restore. Where there's repentance, there's restoration. I said, where there's repentance, there's restoration. And so this accountability factor Look, we're not here to be free birds. There's no hippie Christians. Just do whatever we want. Come on now. No. This is an army. You talk to any of our military guys in this room, you'll find out. They, they go through what's called basic training to do what? To strip them of any little liberty or freedom you think you may have. Why? Because when we get to battle, I need everything you got. I need your quickest response. I need you to act one way and one way only. We can't have 10 different guys going 10 different directions. There's an order, there's a system, there's a process. And so we're gonna strip you of your identity. We're gonna change your clothes. We're gonna change your haircut. We're gonna tell you when to eat. We're gonna tell you when you're done eating. We're gonna tell you when to go to bed. We're gonna tell you when to wake up. Everything is followed, is given by a command and by an order. Why? So we can operate in unison as one people, one army, one group, one platoon. And we don't need rogues. We don't need, you know, people going, you know, running out on their own missions, doing their own things. We got to have perfect alignment. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. We've got to have that accountability in place. Number five, believers serve God if it's convenient. Sure, they'll offer levels of service. Sure, they'll, 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 they'll say, yeah, I'll do anything. But there's a dot, dot, dot. Not just a dot. And Jesus, you know, had these individuals come to him. I want to come follow you, but first, let me go bury my dead father. And what did Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead. 
You come follow me. Anyone that hasn't forsaken mother or father or brother or sister is not fit for the kingdom of God. You cannot put your your hand to the plow and look back and be fit for the kingdom of God, he said. Man, that sounds hard. No, it's about priorities. And so many times, again, I'll say it again, our commitment level is determined by our comfort zone. If it's convenient, if it's something I feel comfortable with. No, sometimes God needs you to serve out of conviction. Disciples will serve God based on a conviction in their heart. Disciples will serve God uh, out of something on the inside that, that says, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what, what, you know, how comfortable I am, convenient or inconvenient, I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up. I'm going to give my best effort. I'm going to do all that I can. That's what disciples do. Number six, believers try to impress God by being religious. Disciples seek to know God through relationship. Believers will try to impress God. You know how many Christians are living based on performance? You know how many Christians are living their lives based on how well they do and how well they don't do? And if they blow it or if they check the box or if, if, if they can rightly align, they think God's impressed by that. They think God is impressed when they get it right, but the same people struggle when they get it wrong. No, disciples seek to know God through a relationship. You don't try to impress people when you're in relationship with them. You know what they feel, how they feel, what they think about you. You ever notice that? The people we try to impress the most care the least. (laughs) It's just the way it goes. The people we put on the most, if you have to do all that, it says that your relationship isn't as close as you thought it was. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't treat the relationship. You know, I mean, there's things that you used to do to chase after your wife when you were dating. Come on, guys. How late did you stay on the phone drooling all over the phone and the pillow? You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. I could just fall asleep listening to you breathe. Uh, And now it's like, stop snoring. You're in the bed next to me. I don't want to hear you breathe. Go find another place to sleep. That snoring used to love it. You were snoring last night. No, I wasn't. Oh, come on. I'm not going to stand up here all by myself, act like that's just me. There you go, Pastor. (laughs) She said just last night. And you got to still do some of those things. The things that you were uh, enamored by when you were pursuing someone, now you're annoyed by when, when you're married. Used to be enamored how beautiful my wife was for a date, but then when we were married and I saw how long it took her to get ready for that date, it's like, uh, there's not gonna be a date. Getting ready in there? What, what's happening? It used to blow me away. Now it's like, you see the process. 
No, when we get into relationship, we still have to have that value. We get in relationship. I can't allow the things of God to become routine. I can't allow the things of God to become familiar. I can't allow the things of God to become annoying to me now. No, I've still got to have a value. But at the same time, it's not that I'm trying to do it so he can. I do it because he does. I said, I don't do it so that he can look at me and say, oh, wow, I'm so impressed. I do it because he sees that I'm his son. I'm his daughter. I'm royalty. I'm greatness. He's put greatness on the inside of me. I'm his child. He's called me his own. I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto my God. And so because of that, I want to live out from that. Amen? Let's keep going. Believers follow God as long as everything is going well. But disciples follow God regardless of the circumstances. Look, believers and disciples have different breaking points. Believers and disciples have different breaking points. Look in the word of God. Look at those that follow Jesus up to. But then in the book of John, when he starts talking about, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. And look at how many people said, whoa, okay. This took a dark turn. I was all good when you were, you know, spitting in mud and healing people's eyes and raising lame people and all these wonderful words. But now, come on now. How, how, how far you are, how close you want to walk with God is determined by how far you'll go with him. What, where, where's your breaking point? Where, where does it become too difficult? And if you're only there for the good times, come on. But then poor circumstances started rising. It's like Robert was saying, we worship God, we lift our hands when things are going good. There's something about praising God when you have no reason to praise him. Lifting your hands when you have no reason to lift your hands. Singing a song when you, it's the last thing you feel like is singing a song. But that's what makes you a disciple. Believers choose their own path and ask God to bless it. But disciples ask God to reveal the path and then follow in faith. Not reveal the path in totality, reveal the step, he said. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Sometimes, most times, all the time, he's gonna just show you one little step at a time. And I, let me put it this way. If he showed you the whole path, you wouldn't take it. You wouldn't do it. Go ahead, look back on the last journey, you know, several years of your life or the, the journey that you've walked with the Lord so far. If he would have spelled all that out for you, would you have gone? No. I would have said, oh, God missed it. Oh, that's not of God. Oh, he wouldn't have sent me there. He wouldn't have asked me to do that. He wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have. If he showed us the whole thing, we wouldn't believe it was him anyways. No, you trust him step by step, following in faith. But believers, they will choose their own path and then ask God to put his stamp of approval on it. And you can't live that way. Gotta be disciples. Believers are full of pride if they're doing well and self-pity if they're not. I said believers are full of pride if they're doing well and self-pity if they're not, this goes back to the performance again. 
Our relationship with God should not be performance related, but disciples are full of gratitude because God's love never fails. Disciples recognize that I'm just grateful for what he's done for me. And regardless of what I'm presenting right now, I know that his grace is greater. His mercies are made new every day. And I've cast off the old. I repent of it. I turn away. I take a 180. I go the opposite direction. I quit operating in that sin or in that that way. And and, and when I blow it, I don't start wallowing in my own self-pity of, oh, woe is me. God never... You know, God doesn't believe in me. He doesn't have a future for me. No, we come out of that and we become founded and grounded on who we are in Christ. Where's your identity at? What does your identity lie in? Your actions, your performance, or your position? I want position-based Christianity, not performance-based Christianity. And lastly, believers follow the example of the world that seeks to go higher. But disciples follow the example of Jesus to humbly go lower. He said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. He said, the first will be last and the last will be first. Worship team, if you come. He said that if you want to be the greatest of these, you must become like the least of these. That's what Jesus said. Believers versus disciples. Believing. Believing is the first step to becoming a disciple. You must become a believer. You must come into the kingdom of God. You must make entrance into the, you must say that I am turning away from the ways of the world. I'm turning away from my agendas and my plans and I am taking on, submitting myself, surrendering myself to his plan. But now I need to walk out that discipleship. I need to walk out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't want to come in at, at the base level. I don't want to come in at the lowest level. I don't want to just say a prayer and then just move on with my life. I want to submit and surrender my life wholly to him. I know that it's not common. I know that the majority, that's why I read you that verse in the beginning in Matthew chapter seven, narrow is the road that leads to righteousness. But I want to crowd the narrow road. How about you? I want to populate the narrow road. I want to give others an example of which path to follow. And I don't want anybody taking the easy path because I took the easy path. I don't want anybody following me because I'm just going with the crowd and just going with the commotion and just going with the group. I want to take the road less traveled, the one that may have some trials and some challenges and be difficult. But I know, I know that my God is with me. I know that my God has called me to greater things, mightier things. He believes in you. He's put greatness on the inside of you. You're greater than just taking the easy road. There's more in you than just facing the ease of life, but never committing and never getting beyond your comfort zones. God has done too much for you and he's put too much in you to take the easy road. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. 
If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.